Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today. And if this is your very first time to be worshiping with us, then let me just extend you a special welcome. We're so glad that you're here. You know, I hope that your first visit turns into a second, your second to a third, and you know where I'm going with that, right? We'd love for you to be a part of here. And if you're looking for a church home, I hope that your search um, ends today with here. And so I hope to get to meet you today and, and would love to connect with you and tell you all the great things God is doing here. But we are in a series right now that we're simply calling Drifting. We started it a couple weeks ago, and what we are doing together is we are examining what I believe is an alarming trend that is becoming more and more visible in American churches today. And the trend is this, that the church is drifting towards the secular, and that in some cases, even the secular has already found a home and acceptance inside the church. Now, am I talking about every Christian? And am I talking about every church in America? Of course not. I'm not talking about every church. But if you were to take a step back and just take an inventory of the church in America today, I think that you're going to see that it's pretty obvious that some drifting has occurred because there are things today that many Christians tolerate and find acceptable that Christians a generation or two ago would have literally thrown up at. And what, what is the cause of that? What, is, what does that say to us? Well, obviously, there's been some drifting. Hey, could we have the lights up just a little bit? I can't see anybody. I know you're out there, but I hear you. But I can't see you, so if you guys could bring the pull like just a little bit, that'd be fantastic. So we're in the oh, that's perfect. I can see you now. You are there. Okay, good. You know, sometimes these lights are just the way I, I can't see past my podium, and I, I like to see you. And so, um, but so far in this series, that, that's what we've been doing. We've been in tr I've tried to identify the dangers with this kind of drifting. When we started this series, we started with Mark chapter 11. And you might recall that's the moment that Jesus went up into the temple courts and he cleared everybody out of there because they're buying and selling and cheating people. And do you remember what he said? He said, my house, will, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of robbers. And I tried to point out to you that I believe that there is a real parallel between what Jesus did in the temple that day and for the church today. The Lord is just as passionate about his temple as he has ever been. Except today, the temple is not a physical building. Where is God's temple today? It's each and every one of us. The Bible says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within each of us who are followers of him. And so he is very passionate about what we do and where we go and what we think and what we do with this temple. We looked at uh, one of the major causes of drifting in our church today, in churches today. And what causes this drifting? It's when churches forget what? That we have good news to share when we, the church, take our eyes off the ball and we forget that we are on the same mission as Jesus, which is to seek and save the lost, when that takes place, we lose sight of what we are to be all about and we become susceptible to this kind of drifting that we're seeing. Now, I want you to know that I consider one of my primary responsibilities as the pastor of this church, alongside of the elders here at New Life, is to lead this congregation down the path that God has us on. God's path. That's what we're interested in walking down. That's what we want to be about. We're interested in the fact that keeping new life in line with God's vision. 
And so our antennas are up all the time trying to pay attention. What's going to wreck God's vision for this place? What do we need to be careful about? We want it to be such that if Jesus were to literally walk in here today and he were to look at us and say, my father's house is this, and I'm so proud of you guys because you are in line with it. That's what our desire is. So that means, you know, as leaders and as shepherds of this congregation, we have to keep our radar dialed in and true, understanding what's around us and what wants to pull us and what is endangering the church and being pulled away from God's vision. And you have a responsibility as well. For everybody who calls New Life their home church, everyone who desires to live their life according to God's vision, we all have to have our antennas up. We have to have our radars on, if you will. We have to be aware of the dangers around us and taking precautions to not, uh, to not fall into these dangers and drift. So we have to ask important questions. And I want to challenge you as a church today to ask these important questions about everything. Even the stuff that I say on Sunday mornings, filter it through these two questions. Is it consistent with God's word? That's one of the most important questions that we could ask. Is it consistent with God's word? Here's another one. Is this what I'm reading, what I'm studying, what I'm in, is this in step with the Lord's vision of seeking and saving the lost? Really important questions that we as a church family need to ask. That is evident that we have our radars on, our antennas are up, we're paying attention, we are aware of the dangers. Can I ask you a question today? Can you recognize a line of thinking that was born from a low view of Scripture. We talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, could you hear an idea and could you discern that, you know what, for somebody to arrive at that conclusion, they must not think very highly of God's Word. They must not completely trust it. Could you recognize it? Can you discern when somebody presents an idea that you know, started with Scripture, but in the process they have reinterpreted it or they have twisted it in some way to try to harmonize the scripture so that it blends well with modern day thinking and it all harmonizes together. And I'm asking you, could you discern when you hear twisting of God's word? Let me just give you an example of twisting and reinterpretation. Let's say some Sunday morning I stood up here and let's say I'm talking about the subject of marriage. That's what we're studying together um, as a church family. So we're going to talk about marriage and, and my text that I'm going to use that day to teach on marriage, let's say that's Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Let's read it together, okay? It's on the screens behind me. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now let's just say I'm doing that. Let me go ahead and start explaining this to you. And your antenna's up. Your radar's on. You pay attention. You ask the questions. Is this consistent with God's word? Let me start explaining Hebrews 13.4 to you. In Hebrews 13.4, we come across this word immoral. Now that, that, that word that we get translated as immoral, I mean it literally means unlawful acts. And since here in this passage, 
immoral is paired with the word sexual, we can understand that to mean what Paul was talking about is unlawful acts regarding sexual behavior in accordance with the law of this day and, quote, cultural norms. That's what we understand. So when the Apostle Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago and he was instructing the church, he was imploring the Christians in that day to behave lawfully in regards to their marriages by honoring and staying faithful in their current marriage. Because that's what law-abiding citizens do. They obey the law and they stay faithful in their marriages. That honors God. Now today, lawful marriage, it's a much broader discussion than it was in Paul's day. In fact, society is so much more complex. It's, it's better educated. We are more connected today than we have ever been before. There's no way that when Paul was teaching the church 2,000 years ago, he could have ever imagined that society would have evolved the way that it has. But his truth in that day is the same as his truth is for today. And that is, Christians must behave in a lawful way in regard to whom they choose to marry. Now, the emphasis in this passage of Paul's message in Hebrews 13, verse, or chapter 13, verse 4, it really has nothing to do with who you marry. Now, there's some Christians that would say that uh, Paul is emphasizing the who. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, the who isn't really on his mind. It's not even the point of the text. Paul is emphasizing on the how. How you behave in that marriage? Are you being faithful? Are you being the one that you've chosen to express your love and devotion to? Are you expressing love within the boundaries of the law, which reflects society's norms? Because that's what's really important to God. That's what we got to understand in Hebrews 13, 4. What God really cares about, it's not who you marry, but that you honor God in that marriage by being faithful to the one you choose to marry, whomever that is. Now, I stood up here some Sunday, and I was preaching on marriage, and Hebrews 13, 4 was our text, and I talked about it that way, how many of you completely recognize that everything that I've just said about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, was a big pile of baloney? Did you guys recognize that? Did you discern that I was lying to you? Did, did you pick up on the fact that that I took everything out of context. Did, did you see that I took all kinds of liberties um, to purposely reinterpret the text to meet my desired outcome, which was to harmonize the Bible with popular thinking today? And I'm asking you, did you pick up on it? Was your radar dialed in? Could you tell? See, sadly, many Christians today have bought into this very kind of reinterpretation, or in other words, twisting of God's word, not only on marriage, but on a lot of different subjects. I mean, reinterpretations and twistings like this are taught in progressive churches every single Sunday. And, and like when it comes to marriage, I can tell you right now, in many churches right here in America, they believe that it is consistent with the Bible to teach that God doesn't care who you marry as long as you are faithful and loyal and do things legally within that marriage, which opens the door to a whole other kind of thinking. 
So that means you can express that marriage in a heterosexual relationship. You can express that marriage in a homosexual relationship because it's legal in our country to do that and law-abiding citizens obey the law. Christians are that way. doesn't matter who you love just as long as you're faithful. I'm telling you, there are churches right here in Bella Vista that are affiliated with denominations that ascribe to this very thinking. Now, I'm not here today to pick on any churches. That's not my goal. But I'd like to ask you if you are able to recognize a line of thinking that is born from a low view of Scripture. Could you discern when somebody starts with an idea from Scripture but reinterprets it, twists it, to fit a modern-day context that harmonizes with how secular society thinks today. I'd like to ask you, do you understand just how disastrous that kind of thing is? Now, I want you to know it's a little bit of a risk for me to purposely misinterpret Scripture for you. In fact, I was telling the staff, I said, you pray for me because I'm taking a little bit of a risk here because for my sake of wanting to be clear, I might confuse, and men, I don't want that on my conscience. So what we're going to do right now is I want to take about two minutes, and I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and I want to talk about it correctly now, okay? I want to set the record straight. I want to look at 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, within context, without any scripture twisting at all. So let's go back and look at the screen behind me. Let's read the verse again. This is what the Bible says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I started with that word immoral in my last little talk, so I'll start with that word again. That phrase, sexually immoral, it's the English translation from the Greek word pornos. Now, if you don't know this, let me tell you, the entire New Testament was written in, the, in Greek. And so to get our English translation, you have to translate Greek to English. And so the English translation is sexually immoral, but the Greek word is pornos. And that word is used consistently through the New Testament, and it literally means this, intimacy with someone you're not married to. So that means somebody who steps outside of the marriage bond and is intimate with somebody they're not married to that way. Or it could also mean somebody who is single, who engages in intimacy outside of marriage. It's, it, it applies the same. But this word is also broader than that because this word also relates to, to perversions of the sexual kind. These things that God says are unlawful for his children to participate with that he opposes and finds detestable. Like in Jude chapter 1 verse 7 when the reference to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and how God destroyed those cities because of their sexual immorality and their perversions. And you can read the book of Genesis and learn what those perversions actually were. So in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, Paul is emphasizing a key distinctive truth for followers of Christ. That we are going to be faithful and sexually pure within our marriages in God's sight. That's what he wants. Always has been, always will be. We will save ourselves for the covenant of marriage and we will act faithfully within the covenant of marriage. Now when Paul wrote this and he's referring to marriage, the who you marry is very much on Paul's mind. 
Now, I want you to know that nowhere in the Bible is marriage described as, hinted at, or alluded to as anything other than marriage between a man and a woman. And so this is exactly what Paul is referring to when he says marriage. And when you take into consideration everything that God ever said about sexual perversion and what he finds detestable, it would be impossible to draw any other conclusion from Scripture that marriage is strictly between a man and a woman. The Bible leaves absolutely no room for anything other than that. So what is Paul's message in context without twisting the Scripture? His message to the church in Hebrews 13.4 is, Husbands, be sexually faithful to your wives. Wives, be sexually faithful to your husbands. God's judgment will fall on all those who are unfaithful in their marriages, and not only that, but on all other sexual perversions as well. So, therefore, keep the marriage bed pure, because that honors God. Friends, can I say something that's going to come out fairly direct? And I hope you'll receive it. I want to tell you today, you need to know your Bible. You have to know your Bible. You you need to read it every day. You you need to spend some time with it on your lap, pouring over the pages and and reading it. If if you're not in a life group here in a couple weeks, we're going to have a bunch of sign-ups for life groups. Jump in a life group so you'll be studying God's Word with other believers. Join a Bible study somewhere. Start a Bible. You got a Bible study. You got a pal somewhere. Join them a couple weeks in the morning, a couple days a week for coffee and to read God's Word. You got to read. You got to know God's Word. The Bible says that God's Word is a light unto our path. In other words, it guides us. It shows us the way. It helps us discern certain things. It shows us where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. God impresses His will through the study of God's Word. You got to know your Bible, because when you do, you know how easy it will be for you to discern what is truth and what is nonsense, what is right and what is baloney? It becomes easy. Because you'll get to the point in your knowledge of God that when you'll hear something, like you're driving your car and you hear something on the radio, you're going to automatically know that's not of God. That's not what God said, no matter how cool it sounds. You might be watching TV or at the movies and something's presented and and culture would applaud, but you just automatically know because you know so much about God's word. That's not the way God would have us live. That does not honor God. And you're going to find yourself starting to be turned off by these secular worldly ideas. You're going to feel yourself separate because you're more in tune with what God is saying than what the world is saying. I'm going to tell you, when you know the Bible like that, you're going to find that you're growing. And with growth comes maturity. And with maturity comes an unshakable faith that is not prone to drifting. Coworker is going to show up at work one day and say, I've been reading this book. Man, it's enlightened my brain. You, you got you to read this stuff. Let me share with what he's saying. And you might go, you know what? That sounds great, but I know that's not godly advice. It's not consistent. You got to know your Bible And you've got to stay true to God's word. And there comes a point when it will become so easy to discern what is of God and what is complete and utter secular nonsense. Sadly, numerous of churches have pulled their anchor off of God's word. 
They haven't stayed true to it. And that's what happens when you forget that you've got good news to share. Over time, you naturally neglect the mission and you start to look largely like the culture you once were so committed to reaching. So you pull your anchor off God's word, you start to drift because you forgot all about the good news, and then you start to drift and you start to look like those you used to try to reach. Drifting churches gradually lose their distinctiveness. Drifting churches gradually over time begin to lose their distinctiveness. Why is it that in the last couple of decades, marriage, sexual immorality, and a long list of other subjects um, have become confusing and difficult for the church to talk about, address, and define and hold its ground on? Why is that? It hasn't always been that way, friends. Today, age-old biblical truths are challenged like never before. Biblical authority is questioned. God's laws, his guidelines, what he desires, those things are being completely reimagined. Sin today in many churches is embraced under the umbrella of God's grace and love. What's happening in front of our very eyes? I can tell you what it is. It is the church gradually losing its distinctiveness. Fewer and fewer things today distinguish the difference between a believer and a non-believer. And in many respects, the thinking and the actions among the Christian community mirrors the world in many regards. If you got your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to spend a couple moments with, with Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is a powerful chapter in the Bible. Um, it's part of the larger Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached that takes up Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So much of what we believe today, our Christian doctrine comes from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is talking to his followers in this sermon and warning them about their own distinctiveness and about how prone we tend to be about drifting and the dangers. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you follow me, it's going to be different. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know what Jesus' point is in this text? His point is very clear. Christians don't blend in. That's what Jesus is telling his followers. That's what he's telling us. Christians don't blend in. The differences between the children of God and the world is the same difference between saltiness and bland. It's the same difference between light and darkness. Just like a town that's built up on a hill that everybody can see it from a far away off and it's hard to hide that. Jesus is like, that's what a person is who follows Jesus. It's obvious 
Everybody can see. It doesn't make sense for somebody to have light and then try to hide that light. No, they don't try to cover it up. They put it somewhere where it spreads more light so all can be in that light. So Jesus is like, if you're going to follow me, you're going to stand out from the world. You're not going to look like, you're not going to act like, you're not going to talk like, you're not going to think like the world thinks you are going to be different. It's hard for me in my position to think that there could ever be a church that would forget why it exists. That, uh, that they would lose sight of their mission. But it's happening all across this country. Their mission is growing cloudy. And they are gradually losing their distinctiveness. Christians are starting to look like the world. They're not different. Boston University professor of religion Stephen Prolethero says this. Study after study has shown that religions that grow are the ones that are hardcore in some way. They have something that differs sharply from the culture in which they operate. And then in that same thought, he goes on to say this. That's the problem with mainline Protestantism. It's not different enough from mainstream America. His point The church today is not at all that different than the world in many respects. And there's not enough difference. The church is losing its saltiness. Its light is dim. The city on a hill is not nearly as noticeable as it used to be. More and more churches are losing their saltiness. Peter Greer is the president of Hope International, which is a Christian mission. He he makes this observation about the church, and he works with churches all all over the United States and the world. He says, many churches have forgotten why they exist and have moved away from the core commitment to the gospel. Today, they resemble little more than a country club without a golf course. Last month, when I was in New York City with my family, many of you know we spent some time out there, spent three days in New York City, we took a tour in an open-air, double-decker bus tour of the city. Friends, if you're ever going to go to New York City and you want to see the city in a short amount of time, I highly recommend the open-air, double-decker bus. You sit and you watch. There's no walking. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But we were rolling all around the city in this bus, just having a great time. And we came across, on that tour... Um, one of the oldest active churches in America. It's, the really fa- it's a famous church. It's called Trinity Church. They're just a few blocks away from where the World Trade Centers once stood, the towers. And uh, this congregation was founded about 1697. So it's been around a while. Still an active church. In the last 321 years, they've gone through several buildings, as you can imagine, but the church building we drove by on this day in the bus was finished in 1846. They've been worshiping there ever since. It's, it's a beautiful, historic church. I, I kind of have, I, I love these kind of churches. I, I love to see them and walk through them and, and love to learn their history. So we came across this beautiful, historic Episcopalian church that had been there for 321 years. And even though I was not shocked at all by what I saw that day, it still was sad to my spirit. Not shocking, just sad in my spirit. You see, when we passed the church, we saw that on their flagpole, flying at the very top, 
stands, which this flagpole stands near the entrance of the church, stood them proudly flying the pride flag. And this flag, as many of you know, is a symbol of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender pride, or LGBT for short. And again, not shocking at all. Just sad. It's sad to see any church of any denomination or non-denominational church bearing the image of the cross and then bearing something like this. Not shocking, just sad. I was speaking with uh, Pastor John about this the other day, and I, I thought he made a great insight about this. He said, you know, at the end of the day, all sin is really the same. And, you know, he's right about that. We're the ones that tend to label this is, this is worse sin than this. You know? But really, sin is sin. And John went on to say, you know, any sin, no matter what it is, it separates us from God. It, it is the conflict. That is the problem. It's just sin. And he said, why in the world would any church endorse any of it? He goes on to say, as we talked, he said, you know, we all struggle with different things. And I do, you do. We have, there's struggles. We all have struggles. Temptation is real. But John said, why would any church endorse our sin? We should only be endorsing the cure. He's, he's right on. He's right on. Uh, my struggle today is not with any uh, group who identifies in any such way. My, my issue today is Christians who know better. My, my issue today is with churches who drift off the foundations of God's word. Well, that whole month we, that we were there, a whole month of June, it was Pride Month. And so I kind of expected to see things like this. Um, but the church there, Trinity Church, decided to fly this flag for 30 days in support of, of that. And they even posted a video on their church website of their ceremonial flag raising um, at the beginning of the month. And it's about a 30-second video. I'd like to show you a short clip of the church raising the, the pride flag. Here, watch this. God, our friends, you told our ancestors that the rainbow is the sign of your blessing and protection, especially after times of despair. We gather today to remember those who have fought for LGBTQ equality under the law and in practice in the United States. Because of them, we are safe to gather here in public and to live in freedom. We gather today grateful that your church in this historic site is a symbol of all-inclusive love. May it be a blessing to all who come this way. Amen. Now, the LGBT conversation in the church, well, that's a much broader and more complex conversation than what we're going to get into today. But I want to say this, that in some ways, that video, this picture, it embodies what we've been talking about so far in this entire series. How there are aspects of the world that are gaining acceptance in the church. What are we seeing? What are we seeing transpiring right before our very eyes? It's nothing less than drifting. And so the question that hovers over all of this is, how does this happen? Well, I'm not able to stand here today and give you a very detailed, comprehensive history of the Trinity Church, nor can I articulate for you today the finer points of the Episcopalian doctrine in their denomination. But what I can tell you, 
is that I highly doubt that what we just watched is the version of Christianity that the founders in 1697 ever thought the church would be practicing. Did something shift overnight? No. Did the leadership just decide one day, we're going to ignore clear instructions of the Bible? Not hardly. I believe that what we just watched is not the result of a sudden shift in thinking at all, but rather a slow drift over time. Salt losing its saltiness. Now, Trinity Church is just one of thousands of examples that I could give you today of how the worldly system is pulling the church towards it uh, and pulling very hard. It's, it's, it's where the church is losing its distinctiveness by every tug of the world, by every time they give in. And so my question for us today is, what is our recourse for something like that? How do we respond? What is our response to seeing something like that? I can tell you what our response is going to be right here at New Life Christian Church. Our response is this. We are going to heed the words of Jesus. We are going to follow what he says, and we are going to choose to be the salt of the earth. That's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to do our best to be the light of the world, to be that city on a hill. We are going to obey God's word, and we're going to trust God to protect that obedience. That's what we are going to do at New Life Christian Church. That's what we're going to do. We are going to be committed to just being the salt of the earth. We are going to be committed to being different, and we're going to be okay by it. We're going to know that the world is going to see us differently. The Bible even tells us that the world will see us differently, and we're going to be okay with it. We're going to be salt that hasn't lost its saltiness. Can you stand with me? And as you're standing, I want to read one more passage of Scripture for you. It won't be on the screens. I just want you to listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following. He says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Is there any area of your life where maybe God has brought to your attention this morning an area of your life that maybe you're starting to lose some saltiness. Is there any area of your life where maybe, if you're being honest, it reflects the world. It mirrors a secular way of thinking. And it doesn't mirror what God wants. Are you losing your saltiness? Is there any part of your life that's drifting towards the secular. I want you to know today that the one thing about drifting 
is that you can be pulled this way, but with repentance, you can come right back to where you're supposed to be. That's how God's grace and love and His forgiveness really works. Are you drifting?